Welcome to Livable Launch, the ultimate destination where property dreams meet reality. I'm your host, Matthew Slutsky, and today we're talking to Brandon Donnelly of Slate Asset Management. He's the managing director responsible for leading all aspects of the firm's development efforts, including site acquisitions, entitlements, marketing, and construction. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Great to have you on the show, Brandon. Great to see you and be in your office. I haven't been in an office in a really long time and your office is bustling. Awesome to see. So welcome to the show. Thanks for thanks for having me and thank you for coming downtown. I know you're a, I know you're a work from home guy, so I appreciate it. <laughs> um, Brandon, you've got a lot of huge things going on right now. Uh, to say, name a few, Junction House is, people are starting to move into Junction House. You've got one Delisle under construction. I think the crane's about to go up pretty shortly. Uh, Corktown's launching. Um, why don't we jump right into Corktown? Like, obviously, Ham- people are always hear about Hamilton. Um, it's a little bit outside Toronto for anybody uh, listening from outside of Ontario. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Corktown and what's going on in Corktown and what your vision is for Hamilton? Sure. Maybe I'll I'll back up a little bit and just kind of talk about our our overall approach to to development because I think Hamilton and Corktown specifically is a good ex- example of that. But it, we at a high level, we target urban infill transit adjacent sites. We like walkable communities with amenities. That is our program. All of our development projects are situated in environments like that. And, you know, the other thing that we we focus on is how can we uh, have positive impact on the broader community? How can we be city builders? I know that's a buzzword that a lot of people throw around. But we really take that seriously and think about what we can do uh, for the broader community as well, too. So if you take if you take Corktown, for example, it's more than an individual project. In addition to Corktown, we also have our Steelport, uh, our Steelport project, which is 800 acres on the waterfront in Hamilton. It's a it's it's as far as we're aware, the largest private investment in the city of Hamilton so far. It's a sustainable manufacturing and industrial facility that we're building. We're building out right now. So. That is fundamental to our broader, our broader commitment to Hamilton. It's job creation, it's economic development. And then with Corktown, we're also adding new housing, new residential. So these, these pieces really go together and is part of this broader, broader commitment to the city. And you're launching again, as I just mentioned, or you have in the works, uh, Junction House, Wondelisle, Corktown. From a purchaser perspective, what does the price per square footage look like in Hamilton that you're getting for Corktown versus other areas in the GTA? Yeah, I would say, you know, I would say it ranges in Corktown from call it around $1,100 a foot to $1,300 a foot in the junction. And then one Delisle is sort of a unique, very special project where, uh, you know, we're closer to $2,000 a foot. And for people who we're going to get into Junction in, in a sorry we're going to get into One Delisle in a little bit, but again for people not in I guess in Canada on the eastern coast like wanted to one like, One Delisle is a really unique project. When you talk about that price per square foot. I mean that sounds actually really affordable for this project. I mean international architect um, want to kind of paint a little picture of One Delisle, then we'll get back into Corktown. Sure, sure. So I think. You know the same the same approach that I, that I outlined on Corktown and Hamilton is something that we did at Young and St Clair as well too. So, Young and St Clair, for those that are not familiar with it, the you know the center of Midtown Midtown Toronto, surrounded by some of the wealthiest postal codes and neighborhoods in, in all of the country, 
And you know, we started investing in that neighborhood and that node on top of transit over 10 years ago. And you know, what we saw was great demographics, a great transit adjacent walkable area, and yet the existing office buildings hadn't seen investment in, in some time. So we now, we own eight office buildings at Young and St. Clair, including all four corners of the intersection. And 10 years before we launched One Delisle, we were investing in those existing office buildings, investing in the retail, investing in public art. So large scale murals, uh, streets, new streetscaping, um, um, public realm enhancements, furniture um, that we've, you know, at the intersection. So that is part of the lead up to, to One Delisle. And again, it's part of this broader city building co commitment. It's not just an individual project. It's always what can we do that's bigger um, and, and, and broader than, than an individual project. So that was the backdrop. You know, we came across a development site uh, in the area. Given everything that we were doing there, given all the investments that we had, had made, uh, and given the prominence of the location, we figured, you know, let's, let's do something really, really remarkable and special here. And so back in 20, this was 2017 now, we went on a search to find an international architect. And we were excited by the idea of bringing someone to Toronto that had never done a project here before to get a fresh perspective on what it, what it could mean to, what, what a high-rise building could be in Toronto. And so we went, we went, you know, we went around to Europe, we went to the US, um, looked in Canada as well too. And ultimately we, we hired Studio Gang architects out of, out of Chicago. Um, and you know, some of, I'm sure some of you will familiar with their projects like the Aqua Tower in Chicago, the Vista Tower, now the St. Regis in Chicago. So very um, known for their creative approach to, to tall buildings and how do we create livable housing within, within cities and within tall buildings. So um, that's really what, what started, started this. You know, we worked with, with Jeannie Gang and, and her team for, for many years to, to bring this project to, to light. Um, and we think it's one of the most unique projects in, in the city, if, if not the country. And, you know, if you look at, if you look at the architecture and, and what, what the team has done there, it's really so much of the architecture and the form is driven by creating really great outdoor spaces and terraces specifically all the way up the tower, which is something you don't normally get in a high rise building. So very livable, very unique geometry and overall all form and and we're really excited to see it come out of the ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's striking, but it fits. Like, it's an incredible design. I mean, if you're, if you're listening and don't know what we're talking about, it's worth Googling the project right now, Wonderlile, because it is a uh, stunning project. And we are going to get back to Corktown, but I, I do want to say, um, you know, Slate's commitment to both city building and community building is really demonstrated with Wonderlile and what Brandon was just talking about at Young and St. Clair. Growing up, I mean, that was the hot spot in Toronto. There was two movie theaters. It was so livable. It was so neighborhood focused. And then it just kind of fizzled out. And like the movie theaters disappeared and it was dormant for like 20 years. I mean, there was stuff happening, but it was it was small scale. Uh, and Slate has just completely revitalized that entire major intersection in Toronto. Um, so again, we're going to talk a little bit about city building and community building a bit more. Um, and I think we see it also with Corktown and Steelport and what you're committed to uh, in, in that area. Uh, getting back to Corktown, do you want to talk a little bit about, obviously, you've got a architectural background, but the architecture of the building, because again, it's also unique for for the city. Um, and then also a little bit about within the ar exterior architectural, looking at the interior, um, like the unit mix, Who's actually? What are the demographics that are that are uh, actually buying in that area? 
lot to unpack in that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, look, I think, um, um, so, the, so the overall unit mix in, in Corktown were, you know, we're about 60%, um, one beds, one plus dens, and then uh, and then 40% larger two beds and, and three beds. And that's a, a fairly common common mix for, for our projects. And obviously we tailor each each mix to the to the market and the demographics in that in that area. So uh, if we compare, you know, one to Lyle, we had I would say larger units. We were probably uh, 200 square feet average size, you know, bigger than than the typical in, in Toronto. Um, in Hamilton, I would say we're we're a bit we're a bit tighter. So average is around you know kind of 600 600 square square foot average. And we're seeing a big you know cross section of buyers from all across the region. To be to be honest. Um, so it's, you know, all the way through Toronto, Burlington, Mississauga, Brampton, Hamilton, we're seeing a good mix of, of people. Um, and I think that's consistent with what's happening is there's a lot of, there's a, there's an influx of people into, into Hamilton. It's a, you know, it's an important urban, urban center in the region. Um, it, there's an affordability component to it as well, as well too. And people are, are recognizing that. So seeing a good mix of, of buyers in Hamilton. We talked a little bit at the start about kind of work from home versus work from office. The Ham, you you have a unique visibility on the market and where people are are purchasing. From the looking at who's purchasing Corktown, is it people who are working in Toronto and commuting back and forth from from Hamilton to Toronto, or is it local people in Hamilton, or is it work from homers who are who knows where they're working? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a bit um, it's a bit early to to tell. You know, people are buying pre-construction, and, and these projects are going to be completed in 2028, and, and people's lives change, and we'll, and we'll see. What I would say is that there is a bit of a weighting towards uh, towards the GTA outside of Hamilton in terms of the buyers, and part of that is I think that Hamilton buyers are still getting their head around pre-construction and and buying and buying earlier. So I think you see you see a lot of buyers that are in the immediate GTA that are more comfortable buying pre-construction. And um, again, I know we don't know exactly what the unit mix will be with the end users, but what type of amenities did you put into the building? Yeah, I mean, we so we dedicated the entire top floor of the tower, which is our phase our phase one to to amenities, so outdoor amenities, uh, gym, um, and really using that as to create a space that's accessible for everybody everybody in the building. So instead of dedicating the top floor to just penthouse suites, we, we made it an amenity that everybody can everybody can use. That's really cool. Um, one last question about the buyers. Are you finding it's, you know, you talked about it, it closing or uh, people moving in around 2028, construction ending around then. Are the people who are buying typical local investors or are you seeing end users purchasing as well? Yeah, we. All, I mean, we always see we always see a mix of both investors and, and end users. You know, like I said in Hamilton, I think that the local market is is still getting accustomed to buying pre-construction. So we're seeing we're seeing investors from other parts of the GTA that are that are that are buying right now in, in Hamilton. Um, last question on Corktown. Um, are there units left? Do you guys still? I mean, we're talking about the project. I know it's it's already launched. Um, if someone's listening and being like, yeah, you know what, I, I want to buy a place there. Is there still availability? Absolutely. So we launched, we launched the first phase in the summer. The first phase is Corktown East, which is the tower. So 372 to you, two units. 
Uh, we're just over 50%, so about 55% sold in the tower. So we still have uh, units remaining. And the website is corktown.condos if anyone is interested. Then mo moving into Wondelisle, which we briefly talked about, and beautiful architecture, revitalized Young and St. Clair, um, under construction right now, crane about to go up. Uh, anything else you want to mention kind of on where you are in construction, when it's going to be completed, and are there units still available? Again, if someone's like, you know what, that sounds awesome, I'm, I'm in. Um, is there anything left? Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, the project sold very, very well. We're we're largely sold out. We do have uh, we do have suites remaining. We've uh, we do have a couple penthouse suites as, as well too. Um, one of the interesting things that I will mention that we did for the penthouse suites, which I think is is unique uh, unique in in the real estate space, is we we commissioned NFT art for each of the individual penthouses. So we commissioned eight pieces of NFT art that correspond one to one with those penthouses. So when you buy the penthouse, you get a piece of NFT art with it. As far as we know, this is the first time anyone's done this in, in Toronto or in, or in Canada. So we're really proud of that. Obviously, people care a lot less about NFTs and crypto today than they did in, in uh, 2021 when we initially launched this project. But we're still, or certainly I am still believer, a believer in this, in this space. So very proud of, uh, proud of that. But we do have some suites available. Construction is finishing in 2027. OneDelisle.com is the, the website. When people think of NFTs, often thought of alongside as cryptocurrency. Did you have anybody wanting to purchase units um, using cryptocurrency? Actually, no. Actually, no. We, we, we didn't. But uh, uh, we, we certainly had a lot of interest when we launched the NFT art for the, for the penthouses. Um, even people, uh, I would say, even people who were not yet investing in crypto or buying NFTs were very interested in it and and said, this is great. I'm, you know, I don't collect today, but I think this is interesting and it could very well be part of the future. And so uh, I plan to buy a display and I'm looking forward to getting my NFT art when I when I close on my penthouse. And um, I know you missed it earlier on, but can you remind me, what's the price per square foot again? Our, our average right now is close to 2,000 a foot. We, we were talking to um, Brad Lamb earlier on a, on a different show, um, and he was saying you know, he thinks 2,000 square foot within four to five years is going to be the standard across uh, Toronto. Um, so here's an opportunity to get in a luxury at Young and St. Clair at that price. Um, at a, again, a unique landmark building. Um, amenities in the building? We, so we have a, the amenities are on the second and third floor. We have a very extensive gym outfitted by Techno Gym. Techno Gym is actually our, right now, our, our preferred supplier for all of our gyms. So, so Junction House, Corktown, Wondelisle, we're using all Techno Gym equipment. Uh, we have an outdoor, um, an outdoor amenity terrace uh, that overlooks an adjacent park that we are both renovating and expanding as part of the project. And then there's an indoor pool as well with glass sliding doors that open up onto onto that terrace. Sounds awesome. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, including myself, Techno Gym is that, um, what is Techno Gym? Techno Gym is a fitness company with a cool sounding name. <laughs> they are, they're actually, Italian, they're an Italy, uh, Italy based company and they're just extremely design oriented, high, very high quality design oriented gym equipment. And I think that's consistent with 
our overall approach is clearly we like to invest in, in design and architecture. And so we, we went on a search as well to to find a gym supplier that could give us equipment that matched the level of quality and design that we were putting in our buildings. So it's not a techno disco club. It's not. It's, <laughs> you can make it that if you would like. You can certainly make it. I'd, I'm, I'm in support of that. So. Uh, and the last of the very active projects, Junction House, um, again, very unique design, but probably the most striking is a huge neon sign on the rooftop at Junction. I forget if it says Junction or Junction House. Um, can you talk a little bit about Junction House? Can people are starting to move in? So I'm sure we, we talked about Corktown and not really knowing what the end user was going to look like. People, I think, last week started moving into Junction House. So you've got probably a pretty good idea of what 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 it's looking like there. Yeah, I mean, Junction is our is is our smallest project. We're now we're now occupying. We're very excited about this this project. The the really the genesis of the name Junction House was that we created a, a section of the building that was two story two story suites that were really intended to be a substitute for low rise housing. So the thesis was that low rise housing is getting expensive in in Toronto in the GTA. Let's create a substitute in a mid rise boutique uh, condominium um, that 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 you know, could offer the same, if not better quality of life. So they're two, they're two stories. The bedrooms are upstairs, which is good for acoustic separation. The typical, the typical, uh, floor plan is two bed and two bath. They all have an outdoor terrace with a barbecue connection and a hose bib. If you want to have a garden out there, there's a dedicated, you know, dedicated dining area, living room, kitchen, island. So we really, you know, we really wanted these to be, um, a great substitute and, and, that's why we call the project what we called it. And what's fascinating and, and or great to see is that people are starting to move into these suites and it's exactly who we thought it would be, or at least who we intended these, these suites to be for. So we're seeing young families move in, people with young kids, um, couples that are, are expecting a kid. Uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing people that had a low rise house and have now decided to sell that and move into to Junction House because they want the flexibility to travel or, or do whatever. Um, so we're seeing, we're seeing this play out now. I don't think we could have sold an entire building of, of just these suites. There's, there's, um, there's only, there's only so many, so many buyers, but, um, it's, it's really exciting to see that play out now in real time. And availability, is there still units available? I think you mentioned it was at, uh, uh, 1300 a square foot in that building. Was it kind of your average, yep. uh, units still available? We have about 10, 10 suites left. They tend to be larger, two, two and three beds. And we actually have them all listed on our website, floor plans, pricing, junctionhouse.ca. And as people have now moved in, again, coming back to, are, are people working from home? Are you seeing people actually commuting every day or are they actually setting up in these, um, especially these kind of larger, more single family-esque units? Yeah, I mean, we're certainly seeing a mix, a mix of, of work patterns. Uh, one of the interesting things with Junction House is as part of the lobby, so just adjacent to the lobby, we inco incorporated a co-working space. So this was, this was intended to be a place where people could work from home, um, as well as a place to kind of socialize and meet, and meet their neighbors. But we designed that before, before COVID. That space had nothing to do with, with what we're kind of seeing play out right now. It just we just we saw that trend and, and thought it would be, uh, you know, something beneficial to incorporate into the project, and it was very very well received. So, 
you know, to answer a question you didn't really ask me, I don't think we've changed how we approach designing our suites. Um, you know, we, you know, the things that we were doing before, larger livable suites, those, that's consistent with what we're doing now. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the signage again. I, I think probably the most boring aspect from a kind of livability standpoint, but one of the coolest things. I mean, again, this neon signs are really awesome. I imagine it wasn't as easy as like, oh, let's uh, put in a cool neon sign. And that was it. I'm sure a lot went into this signage because, again, it is destined to be a landmark, much like the crooked tip top tailors really kind of defines that area. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that process, how you decided on doing that, why you decided to do that, um, the genesis of it and, and how it actually came to be. We, we, we love this sign. We're really, really excited that we were able to get this approved and get it in, get it installed. I have to say that it's not actually neon. It's, it's uh, neon-like. It's, it's LED. We, we looked at it, and, and LED was just the most efficient way of doing it. And we were also thinking about long-term uh, durability and making sure that this, that this sign can, can stay up. So the, the, the way we came about this sign... It really has to do with the project's location at the entrance to the junction. So if you've ever driven or cycled your bike up on Dundas, north of Bloor, curving into the junction, this this site is an important view terminus for that entrance. And when we bought the site, there was a billboard there that took advantage of that. And generally, if there's a billboard there, you have a view terminus because there's some there's good visibility. So when we were going through the design process, we were trying to think of something that we could uh, we could do to celebrate or mark the entrance to this neighborhood. And I think this gets back to our overall approach of, of city building and trying to think beyond our project and what we can do for, for a neighborhood or a community. So when we, when we initially filed our rezoning application, we put this, we put a neon sign at, at the corner at the top of the building as a placeholder. And it said Junction House, which is, we knew we already wanted to call the project that because of these two-story suites that we had designed. So we put it as a placeholder and we, we did a, a survey at our, at our community, first community meeting, and basically we're looking for ideas. What would you like to see here to mark the entrance to the junction? So we wanted it to be a kind of a grassroots thing, and you tell us what, what would be interesting here. And we got, some, you know, we, got, we got some suggestions around the rail and train iconography and things like that for obvious reasons, but we also got a lot of people saying, just do the sign. We love that. Just do what you put as the placeholder. And so it kind of, it, it stuck. And we said, well, let's just, let's do that. You know, it kind of, it gives, it gives this kind of historic feel to it. You know, you think of cities like Los Angeles that have all these, all these older neon signs, which are really great and really exciting to see. So we said, let's just do that. And so we proposed it to the city and the city and the council and everyone said, there's no way in hell that we're going to approve this sign. It's not going to happen. It's, uh, it's we, we, we met with the public art department as well too. And we said like, you know, how cool would this be? And they said, well, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of advertising. I said, well, it's not advertising. We, we actually, we're, you know, it's a condominium. We're gonna sell the building. People will move in and we're gonna move on. It's, it's really something that we think would be you know, interesting for the community. And, you know, I think the general view was that it's, we, we like it. I don't know if it's art. I don't know if we can call it art, but we like it. It's just we don't know how to approve this thing because it's it's advertising. You have to get you know the approvals for that, and they're they're very difficult to get. And so what ended up happening is that we were we were sitting at city hall in a meeting trying to figure out how to get how to make this sign happen. And and they said, well, you know, it's, it's again, it was advertising, and we don't know how we're going to do this. And we paused and we said, wait a second, 
what's the approval for the Toronto sign sitting in Nathan Phillips Square? And the city said, well, no, that's, that's a placemaking sign. That, we, you know, that's, that's allowed. It's placemaking. We said, oh, okay. So if we remove the house and we just show junction on the sign, is that placemaking? I said, yeah, I, I, you, I think it is. That's allowed. So that's what we did. That's how we got it approved. And what's the, uh, I mean, it's incredible um, and a great story to go with it. And what's the public perception been like since it's been up? Have you been getting, I'm sure you're getting comments back from, from the local community. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, we're, every time somebody I know drives by the building, they take a picture of it at night and send me, send me a text. And it's, it's really great to see. Um, I, you know, to be honest, I thought that we would get some negative feedback that someone would say it's it's too bright or it's an eyesore. I thought we'd get a little bit of that. We haven't gotten any of that. You saying that makes me think of that Seinfeld episode where there's like, yeah, the, uh, the chicken <laughs> shop across from Kramer's, but it's not like that at all. I mean, again, it's, uh, I mean, just fits really naturally. It's, uh, it's awesome to see. Um, so uh, wanna tell us a little bit about what you have upcoming. I, I know we talked a lot of stuff, the really active stuff, but what are some exciting things that you have uh, coming down the road? Sure. I mean, we have some. We have a number of other projects in the rezoning the rezoning process right now. Uh, one is 685 Lakeshore, which is a mixed use two tower uh, application that we've we've filed in the Portland's area. Uh, that one's really exciting because we're we're we love what's happening in the Portland's area. I think it's been under the radar for a lot of people in Toronto, but that is one of the most important projects, kind of infrastructural projects happening right now in the city. Um, so we're going through the rezoning process on that. Still, still early. Not talking about marketing or anything like that, but um, that's going to be very exciting. And, and that's in partnership with Carlisle Communities that we're doing doing that. Another project that we have is 100 Lombard Street, and that's a, a partnership project that we have with Forum Asset Management. And that is one where I would say it is the next Wendell Isle for us in the sense that we similarly hired an international architect. So we hired OMA from, from New York, working with WZMH Architects, a local firm, which is also our local architect on Wendell Isle. And so we're going through the rezoning process on that, also still early, but a very exciting project and a similar level of commitment to, to architecture and doing something really unique and creative for, for Toronto. Early on, you mentioned transit and you know all the walkability as being the kind of the mo of um of slate but listening to you talk about your upcoming projects but especially corktown one delisle junction house i mean city building community building just seems to be such a core i mean you're not just buying a site building a building and moving on you are building entire communities and the city around these can you talk to me a little bit about your thoughts around city building and community building and how it plays into your decision process? Yeah, I, you know, it's, um, I think it manifests itself in different ways depending, depending on the project. So I think if we, if, if, we, if we think about Junction House, for example, the placemaking sign was fundamental to that. It's a small project. There's only so much that we can do with, with a, with a boutique mid-rise building. There's 151 suites in Junction, but that sign for us was a way of doing something to celebrate the neighborhood, celebrate the community, mark the entrance to, to the area. So it can manifest itself in that way. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I would say you have something like Hamilton where we're making the largest single, the largest private investment in, in the city, an 800 acre redevelopment along, along the waterfront. 
So, uh, you know, it's opportunity driven as well. Obviously we have to respond to market, the market and opportunities, but it, it all comes down to thinking beyond our project, investing in architecture and design, certainly with the project itself, but thinking beyond the project and what else can, can we do? How can this project be a catalyst for other positive things in the area? Investing in, in, in local artists, you know, um, is, is one example, which we've been, which we've been doing in, in Hamilton. And we want to showcase some of that in the, in the lobby of the building. So it's everything that we can do to use these projects to think beyond our individual, um, initiatives. Sounds awesome. Um, the market right now, we talked about kind of who's moving in, um, what the purchasers are looking like when these projects are closing. What are you seeing right now, like right now in the market? It is significantly slower than it was, as we all as we all know. Like we are coming off, uh, we are coming off a peak. Uh, things have slowed. Uh, there's no question. I think the market's trying to find a new equilibrium right now. I don't think we've we've found it. Um, it's probably I don't know. Who knows? Maybe another year or so until until we kind of get there and and there's a lot more clarity in the market. But you know, I think for for great projects and great locations, I mean, those projects are are still selling. Um, certainly with Junction, we're seeing, you know, a lot of end users move into the building. They're very happy to, to, to move in. Um, so I, you know, I think it's, I, I think it's, we're going through this, this reset. It's probably healthy for the market. Uh, we'll get through it. And I think, you know, for us, the way that we think about, or certainly the way I think about this is, you know, there's probably two really good reasons for why you might want to buy a pre-construction condo. Uh, one is you need a home. This is a very obvious one, right? And there's a lot of that at Junction House because the size of the units are larger. So there's a lot of end users. You need a home, you're going to buy a condo and you're going to move into that. And I think if that's what you're trying to do or that's what you need to do, uh, now is a very good time because it's slower and there's opportunities. Um, the second reason is that you believe in the Toronto region. You believe that it's an important global city region. It's going to continue to grow. Immigration is strong. And so you're investing in the future of this of this region. And if you wanted to do that in 2021, I think you should. And that was your thesis. Why is that thesis not consistent today? I think it's the same. The same rings true. So I think it's the market is the market's slow. We have to find a new equilibrium. But I think if uh, if you are still thinking along those two those two lines, now is still a very good time to buy. Love that answer. We talked a bit about what's coming up uh, in your pipeline. Obviously, there was a big announcement yesterday about rental, about uh, affordability and rental housing and how the government's helping to push rental housing um, with your upcoming slights, with your upcoming sites. Uh, is that announcement making any changes to the way you think about those sites? Absolutely. I think I think we were we were all talking yesterday that. In our, in our office that every housing developer in Canada yesterday dusted off the pro forma, the, the rental pro forma that they had done that didn't work and uh, was now relooking at that. And I think yesterday, that was a significant announcement and it sounds like a lot of the provinces are gonna follow suit as well, as well too. And um, uh, with, uh, you know, waiving sales taxes on, on, uh, on new rental housing. So it's a very, very important step in the right direction, I think, where everyone's going to start looking at, at rental housing uh, projects. And I think if there was a project that was marginal or, or was not working or was right on the, on the fence, it could tip in, in favor now. So 
I think we're certainly going to look at, at, at you know some of our our pipeline and see if there are any opportunities there. And I and every every developer uh, is going to do that. I think it seems again. I haven't looked deep enough into it. It's only been one day. Yeah. But it seems like an incredible move on the housing front. I mean, just a, a great first time we've seen a really great move um, to help push rental. Uh, so, so great to see that. Switching gears completely, you run a daily blog, um, potentially the most famous uh, person in in uh, I don't know about in, that in development. I don't have or, a podcast so. <laughs> in. Uh, uh, the building industry in Canada. Um, want to tell me a little bit about your daily blog, how it came about. It's a fascinating blog. It seems that every day you have these new, incredible thoughts and ideas. Um, what is the kind of, where did the, the daily blog start from? For people who don't know, how do they find it? How do they sign up? Um, and I, just out of curiosity, I feel like you must get emails from people around the world daily um, talking to you about some really cool stuff. Do you have any kind of cool stories around that to share? Yeah, I mean, the, the blog is it's my personal blog. It's under my name, so brandondonnelly.com. It was, it's actually, it's been 10 years as of last month. So daily, daily writing for 10 years. I have missed a couple days here and there, but it's, it's, been, it's been 10 years and I, I plan to continue. I, I think, uh, you know, it was, I, it was 2013 I started. Um, at that time, I was working on a I was working on a, a startup, a real estate startup called Dirt, which I think you remember. You know, you and I connected, Absolutely. had connected in and around that around that time, and so blogging started, you know, partially as a way to kind of market our our startup and and get out there and 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 get distribution, um, and and it kind of stuck with me. I, you know, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed writing. I will also say too that I was reading. Uh, Fred Wilson's blog, which I don't know if you read that, but he's a venture yep. capitalist and out of New York. He's he's kind of slowed down his cadence now. He used to write every single day, and it's been I don't know 15 plus years. He's been, been blogging for. He's one of the OG bloggers out there. Um, but you know, see, reading his blog and and enjoying it, but also just seeing what that was doing for him, I think was really inspirational and, and motivated me to want to do something else. And I think there's something powerful about. Uh, well, first of all, you don't make any money. I don't, you know, I don't make any money direct. I don't directly benefit from this blog. That's not the point. I think it's it's indirect benefit. I think the benefits are are personal. I think there's huge benefits to just writing every single day. It's one thing to think about something. It's another thing to write about it. You have to understand and think about something at a deeper level to be able to write about it. Um, so there's that, but then there's also the kind of external benefits of people reaching out. I write about something, it triggers something for somebody. They say, oh, well, you're thinking about that. Have you thought about this? We should connect. So there are huge, there are huge benefits to that. I also just think there's something nice about having your own, um, your own kind of place on the internet. It's no one can change the algorithm on me. I have, you know, I have my mailing list, people read it. Um, I'm not, I'm not at the mercy of, of X or Instagram or somebody else changing things on me and, and deciding, uh, what people can see. So it's nice having your own little, little place to put down your thoughts. Do you have any stories of people from around the world, uh, contacting you and any, you know, anything really interesting come out of, of your worldwide conversations that you could think of, or when you fly into a place, I feel like people must be like come for dinner with me, uh, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely get Definitely get that where, where I go somewhere and people will reach out, but, uh, which is, which is great because, you know, I'll meet for coffee sometimes with people 
in other cities and just kind of learning about the the market and every market is is different so it's it's uh it's great and once once you've been doing it for so long it becomes a real habit it's hard to stop it's very hard to stop brandon donnelly thank you so much for being on the show love what you're doing you know your projects are are um really interesting visually interesting uh and no doubt you know showcases slates commitment to community building and city building and exactly what we've been talking about. It's great. Um, great to see that actually in action. And again, as people move into these buildings, them actually fully coming to light. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into Livable Launch, your go-to podcast for all things condo and new home launches. We hope today's episode has given you valuable insights into the exciting world of real estate development and the minds behind these remarkable projects. We're incredibly grateful to our esteemed guests and our dedicated listeners like you who continue to make this podcast a success. Remember, Livable Launch is here to keep you informed, inspired, and engaged with the ever-evolving landscape of condo and new home developments. We value your feedback and want to ensure that Livable Launch remains your trusted source of information. So don't hesitate to reach out. Remember, we're all in this exciting journey together. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on our website or social media platforms. And if you're a builder industry expert who wants to share your expertise and be featured on our show, please get in touch. We'd love to hear about your latest projects, launches, and insights. Thank you again for joining us on Livable Launch. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Stay up to date with the latest condo and new home launches, trends, and insider knowledge. Until next time, keep building, dreaming, and exploring the world of real estate. Remember, Livable Launch is here to guide you for every step of the way. I'm Matthew Slutsky, and this is Livable Launch signing off. Happy building, and see you soon.